0: I'm going to do that again.
1: Wait, I need a cough.
0: (laughs) Oh, okay, yeah, no, I need to clear my throat. (laughs) Why was that so aggressive? I
1: don't
0: know. We are not alone, and I'm not talking about space or in the context of the universe. That's a topic for another time. I mean... I actually have a guest for once, so it's not just my voice that you're going to be hearing today. I actually have Ames over here. She's the one who makes all the graphics and stuff for this podcast. So, hi. I, I was yeah, I was too lazy to write an intro for you, so I just. <laughs> but
1: you just said an intro. For so, well, you
0: have more of an intro. I like they don't know what you do. I don't know what you do for me.
1: I'm an illustrator. That's it. <laughs>
0: that's my whole personality that was incredibly (laughs) anticlimactic i'm gonna be like who did she bring on her episode why is an art student on a science podcast
1: because i'm stupid that's that's the answer
0: (laughs) that's yeah that's yeah that's why i brought her on because what better commentary (laughs) okay so by my intro hopefully you can actually kind of guess what this next series and yeah series is going to be about. Um, I actually gave a hint during my last episode, if you caught that, something about this collaboration being out of this world. (laughs) (laughs) So funny. Yes, for the next few episodes, we will be talking about the history of astronomy. And the reason this is going to be an entire mini-series is because astronomy has been here like since the stone age because i mean come on the sky the stars i mean i think they're pretty hard things to miss you just look up and there's so many different civilizations that have their own theories for a variety of astronomical phenomena
1: that's an astronomical amount of theories
0: Excellent. (laughs) So how exactly did we consolidate generations of research from different civilizations to create modern astronomy? Lucky for you, I did the research. This is The Science of Yesterday, a podcast where I tell you every nitty-gritty detail of how modern science came to be. And for my fifth episode, we'll be beginning our journey into the history of astronomy. Astronomy is one of the oldest areas of the natural sciences. It's almost impossible to stare up at the night sky to see a glowing orb staring right back at you and not wonder what it is. Ancient civilizations used the stars for navigation, predicting time, anticipating impending doom, following the seasons, and more. The oldest evidence of astronomy that we have at hand is a star map carved into a mammoth bone from over 32,500 years ago. But back then, there was no real concept of stars or planets. Most things in the night sky were thought to be manifestations of the divine. It was fairly easy to note patterns and trends in the night sky if you stared at it long enough. Stars, as an example, are stagnant features of the sky, whereas planets only appear once in a while, because they move. The earliest recordings of astronomy or the skies being studied comes from a variety of ancient civilizations, from the eastern to the western world. However, there is no real saying who really came first since they all were present around the same time. Eventually, their ideas mixed, thereby forming the modern field of astronomy. For the first part of this series, we're starting from the East, specifically looking into ancient Indian astronomy, but before we get into that, We have to get some things into perspective with a little refresher on some basic concepts of astronomy. Space or the universe is consisted of a variety of celestial bodies, including stars, planets, black holes, and a bunch of other... kind of weird stuff. Aliens, maybe? Do you know any other weird stuff?
1: No, I don't know anything about space. I did at some point.
0: What? You were... okay. The reason I put you on this episode is because you were that kid who walked around, like, decked out in galaxy print.
1: Listen, that was purely (laughs) appropriative. (laughs) I was appropriating that imagery. (laughs) You leave my space leggings out of this! No, I had a phase, but, like, (laughs) my memory just leaks for my entire life. (laughs) so that phase where i was super into space is like leaving my has left my brain (laughs) okay i don't know is antimatter weird is that a is that a space thing
0: i think it's a space thing other than like the antimatter that we made but
1: we made antimatter
0: yeah at um that huge uh like particle accelerator in like switzerland or whatever i don't know where it is it's in europe (laughs) This is but a really good look for your science podcast. Okay, you know what? I'm a I'm a biologist. <laughs> do you know how much astronomy I had to learn for this? Oh my god. <laughs> there was so much math. <laughs>
1: <laughs> See, that's why I'm not into astronomy. I
0: can't. Okay, do well math. I mean like I, I, I'm interested in like the, the the cool stuff, you know? Like like purely theoretical. And yet no you had math. to do
1: math. <laughs>
0: yes, and yeah, I know. Starting with where we are, Earth, we know it's part of the solar system and it's fairly common knowledge that the Earth is round and that it spins, while at the same time making circles around the Sun, which is at the center of our solar system. When looking up at the night sky on Earth, we can see the Moon, a number of stars, planets, constellations, and if you're lucky, comets or meteorites. You know, if you get out as far away from the city and away from light pollution, you might even get the chance of seeing the Milky Way, the galaxy which we are a part of. See, there's a sort of hierarchy in the universe in terms of how things are built up. Stars and planets make up galaxies which ultimately make up what we know today to be the universe. Stars themselves, as we know today, are just extremely hot flaming balls of chaos. and more scientifically, it's a sphere of plasma. the secret fourth state of matter that they don't really teach you in school. when i was being taught about the states of matter in school, the teacher would be like, oh there's solid liquid and gas and me being that kid who read those like kid encyclopedias like once and like learned about plasma was like, uh
1: i thought you, you were forgot, gonna i thought you were gonna you say forgot gas. plasma i thought you were gonna say gas i had a lactose intolerance joke locked and loaded
0: i already said gas though
1: but i meant when you said hotball of chaos instead of gas i was so ready for my
0: <laughs>
1: bowel <laughs> joke
0: <laughs> i was you like you can still make your bowel, bowel joke to i'm gonna <laughs> you know what i am gonna be talking about gas in a bit so just like hold on nice but yeah, I was I was that kid in school, and the teacher yeah, would know. be like, stupid. I so, remember that. Yeah, you would know. Yeah, I would. <laughs> <laughs> what about plasma? is <laughs> it plasma a state of matter? Me knowing the answer to my own question. <laughs> Stars are spheres of plasma being held together by their own center of gravity. What fuels a star is continuous nuclear fusion reactions between hydrogen atoms, and what this reaction entails... Is essentially two atomic nuclei literally fusing together. The result is the release of massive amounts of energy, heat, and photons. And stars themselves have life cycles of their own. It all starts at a nebula, a giant cloud of gas and dust. Like my apartment. The hydrogen, huh?
1: Like my apartment.
0: Like your okay. (laughs) It's like Sure. The hydrogen in this cloud is eventually pulled together by the force of gravity, causing the nebula to start spinning, and as this spinning increases, this nebula heats up, eventually reaching 15 million degrees Celsius, the temperature at which nuclear fusion starts to take place in the center. This causes the gas to start glowing, creating what is known as a protostar. And as time goes by, The protostar builds up enough mass and eventually stabilizes once stable the protostar has officially graduated to being a full-fledged star the star literally glows up and gains stability to become a star but this stability only lasts so long the star can remain glowing for millions and billions of years and eventually As more hydrogen is converted to helium as a result of fusion, the star's core begins to lose stability, causing contractions which results in the expansion of the star's outer shell, creating a red giant. The outer layer of a red giant is still hydrogen but eventually this gets used up as well. The last of the helium atoms are fused to carbon atoms and the star begins to die. As a result of gravity, the star's matter collapses in on itself, forming a white dwarf, which continues to burn hot with what remaining energy it has left.
1: Uh, we what? We're to get through the semester. <laughs>
0: <laughs> At least you're glowing. <laughs> <laughs> so once this energy gets depleted, the star has become a black dwarf. A star's center of gravity is what allows solar systems such as ours to form. A bunch of gas, dust, and debris gets caught in the orbit of the star. While they orbit the star, the dust particles collide and stick to each other, eventually forming rocky planets. Other events like meteorite bombardment can bring a whole bunch of other elements and compounds like water to help cool and form the characteristics of the planet. The distance from the star, as well, shapes the characteristics of the planets. Farther from the star, it is colder, providing the perfect environment for water to freeze and gas molecules to slow down enough to be drawn to a planet. This is what causes the creation of planets like Jupiter, Saturn, Neptune, and Uranus. I knew you were gonna... (laughs) (laughs) I literally, while I was like researching this i was like she is gonna say something
1: (laughs) all i have to say is
0: (laughs) closer to a star we see rocky planets like mercury venus earth and mars and since the gas giants stole all the gas there really wasn't much left for them hence their rockiness the earth however is in what is called a goldilocks zone it's the perfect balance of water gas and rock to be able to support life and this is also why it's theorized that mars may once have held life if we were talking about the life cycle of a super big star when this kind of star collapses in on itself we get black holes black holes are the center of pretty much every galaxy we know of they have a center of gravity so strong that nothing can escape from it Everything just gets sucked right in. Light, energy, or debris. And one day, we might even get sucked into a black hole. It's entirely possible, so I mean...
1: I await that day.
0: Looking forward to...
1: (laughs) Yeah, looking forward to it. (laughs) I eagerly await the day that I, too, am thrown into the void permanently.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, that was a short summary of astronomy. Obviously, there's so much more to the story, but for the purposes of this episode, I think this should be enough. And hopefully, you learn more as we go through this. And with that, let's start in Ancient India. Ancient Indian civilizations were quite highly developed, which is highlighted by the remnants of the Indus Saraswati Valley civilization. The Indus Valley civilization was an agricultural society. To take care of their farms, they needed a method or some kind of system that they could use and follow to properly tend to their crops. They outlined the seasons and months, essentially developing a calendar, and this was all written in the sky. Contrary to Western civilizations where it was thought that the universe is 6,000 years old, ancient Indian civilizations understood that space is, well, significantly older than that. Many historians suspect that numerous texts on astronomy once existed in ancient India. Unfortunately, a bulk of these appear to have become lost forever, with the sole exception of the Vedanga Jyotisha, a part of the ancient Hindu Vedic texts.
1: Did a white man lose them, or?
0: (laughs) Uh, No, they just think it was lost. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... Like, this was, this was like a real long time ago, so okay. I'm actually not sure. Yeah. So
1: maybe white men didn't exist yet.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the Vedanga Jyotisha is currently the only Hindu text that is purely astronomical. Theories of astronomy were presented as shlokas, a poetic form of writing used in Sanskrit. Every shloka in the Vedanga Jyotisha were just pure algorithms for astronomical calculations. Um, I don't really understand why in a lot of ancient scientific texts and philosophy, like they had to be written in poetry. (laughs) Like it's like the most flowery language I've seen just to say like the earth spins.
1: (laughs) I mean, three words. People do that. Versus like
0: a stanza.
1: People do that now. Yeah. People just like use big words to sound smart all the time. (laughs)
0: Yeah. But oh, maybe that's what they did. (laughs) <laughs> but, like, they use big words, like, it's jargon now. Like, back then, they would just, like, metaphor everything.
1: They had the time for it, so. <laughs> yeah, they did.
0: Ancient Indian astronomy can be split up into two different phases pre Siddhantic and Siddhantic. The pre Siddhantic era is from proto historic India, starting in the Rigvedic era. In the Rigvedic era, Most observations in the sky were about the moon. They also observed five different planets, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. Jupiter and Venus were mentioned in very early texts, whereas Mercury, Mars, and Saturn made their little entrance a little while later in the Puranas.
1: Their little entrance?
0: (laughs) Yes, their little entrance. Their big debut. In ancient times, we didn't really follow whatever hellhole of a calendar we have now that is the result of some Roman emperor wanting to be remembered as a month. In ancient times, many Eastern civilizations followed some form of a lunar calendar where a full month used to be from full moon to full moon. It was already established in pre-Siddhantic astronomy that there is only one sun that supplies all of the light and energy the earth receives along work. with yeah
1: <laughs> a lot of work for one guy
0: a lot of work for one guy dude
1: <laughs> full-time job
0: baby give him give him a break turn off the sun
1: <laughs> he, need, he needs a union <laughs>
0: maybe that's what the eclipse is he's just like i can't he's
1: <laughs> like bro take over <laughs> yo can you grab my shift real quick
0: yeah <laughs> Along with this, Rigvedic sages also recognize that the sun is linked to the moon's phases and that the moon is what causes ocean tides.
1: They're co-workers.
0: Huh? Yeah, They're co-workers. Dude.
1: <laughs> they work the checkout together.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they don't even have anyone to like replace them. The lunar <laughs> eclipse is the like moon. Dude, I think we've just like cracked the secret. <laughs> we've cracked code you heard it you heard it first here <laughs> in addition to that it was also fairly common knowledge that the earth was round and that it's just floating around in some endless space void so pretty bang on stuff which is actually incredibly fascinating but there's a lot more in the brahmana text it's also mentioned that the sun doesn't set or rise which hints at the acknowledgement that the Earth rotates on an axis. See, with all of these conclusions and theories, no one really knows exactly how they drew some pretty accurate conclusions. But what is known is that Vedantic astronomers strongly believed that seeing is believing. And this means, yeah, they're using their eyes. And it was likely a simple matter of repeated empirical observation of the night sky so not a novel concept but a very effective one nonetheless
1: that's really funny because flat earthers also use that logic
0: (laughs) yeah well no like they can't use that knowledge though because in some areas of the earth like you can actually see the curve
1: yeah, but they don't want to believe that. Cause yeah, no, no, no like, they, they don't, they,
0: they, they, like, okay, when you're in the city, obviously everything's gonna look flat, but, like, yeah. when you're on the ocean, you can see the curvature, but yeah. they haven't, they haven't been on the ocean, and if they're on a cruise, they're not looking out at the ocean looking for evidence of flat earth, you know? Yeah. They're, they're on the cruise ship thinking, ha ha,
1: I'm on a cruise ship. <laughs> yeah. Hope it doesn't sink, hope there's no icebergs here. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> One just shows up. <laughs> In the Vedanga Jyotisha specifically, a number of astronomical phenomena were described. The ancient book was written by a man named Lagada, and we actually we know nothing about him. Other than I guess he really liked space enough to write about it. In this book, Lagada described the Rigvedic year, which was 12 months long each month being 30 days long. This would add up to 360 days in a year, but they realized that there were five extra days just hanging out, those little stragglers left out of the equation. And the solution was the concept of yugas. What Vedic astronomers did is they used the concept of yugas to divide the motion of the earth, the sun and other celestial objects. According to this theory, Yugas are cycles that are associated with the precession of equinoxes, which is when the plane of the Earth's equator passes through the geometric center of the Sun. In layman terms, it's when the Sun is directly above the Earth's equator. This Yuga cycle is otherwise known as the Great Year, and it's separated into four different stages. So I'm going to outline them and just just guess which one we're in right now so we start off in the satya yuga the golden age where humanity is said to be at its purest valuing truth and love over everything then we have the silver age the treta yuga where humanity begins to understand the energies at play in the universe like like we can feel electromagnetic forces and stuff like that's what they mean like we can feel electricity what would it feel like I, I don't, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know. This is followed by the Bronze Age or the Dwapara Yuga, which is commonly linked to the development of mental virtue where humanity begins to understand spiritual ideas. The final stage of the cycle is the Kali Yuga, and this is referred to as the Dark Age associated with the destruction of the world filled with war and conflict people believe that the hindu god lord vishnu will come in the form of the kalki avatar to punish and cleanse the world because at this stage humanity is incapable of enlightenment
1: god i hope he does i really hope he does (laughs) yeah it's what we deserve
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) what stage do you think we're in
1: i don't know it could be anything
0: just take a wild guess yeah
1: i don't. i really i it's a really like jury's still out you know
0: huh jury's, jury's still, still out okay yeah.
1: well,
0: <laughs> it's the end of that segment of the podcast i don't
1: <laughs> i think okay
0: <laughs> just based on events yeah i thought you would get this immediately honestly no i
1: got it i'm being sarcastic
0: Oh, okay. Holy shit. At the end of the Kali Yuga, a brand new cycle is begun. And we're set to be in the first quarter of the Kali Yuga. The Dark Age. And we've only got 427,000 years to go.
1: Wait, this is just the beginning? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Oh. No thanks. (laughs) I'm good.
0: Can we, like, fast forward
1: (laughs) cut scrap it stop it
0: (laughs) yeah but like you know how people say like oh blame 2020 it's it's not 2020 my guy (laughs) blame the like actual dark age maybe (laughs) Uh, you know how people call like that that like what is the like like what the like 1300s or something like the dark ages it
1: was just europe having a bad time it's been the
0: dark ages dude
1: (laughs) Well, it was just Europe having a not great time. Everyone else is vibing. We named an entire era about out of the mood of white people.
0: Did they ever have yeah and then like the Renaissance? Yo, we had our Renaissance like a good thousand years before
1: them. We've been having it. We've been in And it's like the enlightenment. It's like we've been there. Did that. Got there faster than you. Cause you're also damn cold all the time
0: i wonder if the vikings were smart i'm gonna look should. that up i feel like viking they astronomy or were they just too busy with their boats to actually care about the sky
1: well if they're on boats they kind of need the sky
0: yeah but they'd just be like there's the star okay let's go
1: that's still vroom, astronomy
0: vroom. i don't know what's the whoosh whoosh
1: whoosh 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 i'm in me boat I'm in my mom's boat! (laughs) Get out, my boat! (laughs) Ah.
0: (laughs) Calculating the yuga cycle was carried out using the constellations in the sky. Depending on which zodiac sign was on the sunrise on the autumnal equinox, determines where we sit in the great year. Now, this cannot be physically observed because a star moving about one degree is 72 human years the entire yuga cycle system is said to be caused by a binary star system back then it was actually a fairly common theory among multiple civilizations that the sun was actually part of a binary star system
1: wait we're on tatooine (laughs) wait what we're on tatooine
0: what's tatooine
1: the fucking planet from luke's home planet on star wars oh i didn't uh get with what? the time sanjana
0: <laughs> star wars was old that was
1: and yet here you are <laughs> <laughs>
0: talking about history you know what start your own pop culture podcast about star wars and talk about tattooing there i was like tattooing tattooing what <laughs> what tattoo
1: I, I don't like talking about pop culture except for the few things i have extremely hard opinions on <laughs>
0: people thought that the sun was actually part of a binary star system, and it's because the star Sirius, which is visible in our night sky, doesn't move. And we thought that this was the sibling star of the sun, and the sun was steadily revolving around this star somewhere in the cosmos. Of course, today we know that this isn't true, but to know that a simple observation of a star that doesn't move would lead to the development of a story as complex as the Yuga cycle system is amazing in and of itself. The next era in ancient Indian astronomy is the Siddhantic era, which you could have guessed by the previous era being called the pre-Siddhant, anyway. Yes. Siddhanta stands for proven in the end. All theories and observations were documented in verse and unfortunately, The early Siddhantic period was quite poorly documented. The Siddhantic era focused quite heavily on planetary astronomy, and a notable astronomer from this time is Aryabhata, who wrote the book Aryabhatiya, which contains many of his theories of the Earth and planetary astronomy. A lot of astronomers in this period most likely just kept staring at the sky because actual study was needed for the development of their theories. Aryabhata, for example, theorized that the earth is round and revolves like a spinning top based on observation of the skies. Like
1: a Beyblade.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Let her rip!
1: <laughs> so it's not like the sun and the moon are working, they're just having a Beyblade competition.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But like the moon revolves around the sun, so like with That's the sun, the just be having a Beyblade competition with the sun and the moon—is that what it is?
1: It's mysterious.
0: Or or, or <laughs> all oh, the entire solar system is just a Beyblade competition.
1: We cracked it. <laughs> it. We did it. We, we, we solved, solved it. the we solved <laughs> we astronomy. Solved
0: We've connected the dots. <laughs> <laughs> Although, like any notable scientists. Aryabhata had a number of opponents aggressively opposing his theories. People like Vāramihira and Brahmagupta listed a number of physical arguments explaining why the earth could not possibly be moving. And it's all a bunch of math, so I'm not gonna get into it because like, I don't think it's math is the best thing to try and describe on a podcast. Like, I don't know how x is equal to 1.25. <laughs>
1: You need a you know whiteboard
0: over 16 and therefore earth does not spin.
1: Therefore so. stars.
0: <laughs> if you're interested in the whatever math or physical arguments they gave like just google it.
1: <laughs> this I'm is a really sorry. informative podcast. Thank you. <laughs> I don't do that.
0: This is a science podcast, not like a pure math podcast. I'm not going to start listing equations here. Aryabhata theorized that a yuga is 4,320,000 revolutions of the sun, 1,582,237,500 revolutions of the earth, 57,753,336 revolutions of the moon, and more very large numbers of revolutions of the planets that I don't want to get into, nor do I have the energy to recite. This theory suggested that he had already hypothesized that the Earth rotated on an axis, and just by discussing revolutions, this meant that he already had the fundamental understanding that the universe is dynamic, containing elements that follow a series of repetitive phenomena. He also made theories about the formation of eclipses. Hindu astronomers commonly attributed eclipses to the demon Rahu. Like, do you want to hear the story? Yahoo? No, not Yahoo. <laughs> rahu. R A H U. R A H U. R A H U.
1: Okay. Gotcha.
0: Rahu. I'm going to tell it's a story, it's a myth.
1: Oh, nice. Okay. My wheelhouse.
0: <laughs> story time. So. Essentially, the myth dates back to an ancient time where demigods and demons ruled the universe and in the period that the story takes place in, the demigods had been cursed because the king of heaven, Indra, insulted the great sage Durvasa. This gave the demons a huge advantage in the battle of good versus evil. The demigods, exhausted because of the curse they were sadly caught in the middle of, Seeked help from Lord Vishnu, who told them to obtain the nectar of immortality. Easy task. However, this nectar was at the bottom of an ocean of milk, and they would- Milk? (laughs) Yeah, milk. I love milk. This nectar of immortality was at the bottom of an ocean of milk, and they would need the Asura's help to get it. And so because immortality is a pretty attractive thing, the two joined forces and obtained this nectar under the truce to share the nectar. But both sides were planning on just taking the whole thing for themselves, so they worked together. And once they obtained the nectar, the demon stole it and ran away.
1: Why would anyone want to be immortal? Yeah. Sounds terrible. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't actually get the appeal of immortality. Right? Like, what do you just get
1: bored? Yeah, what do you even do after that long?
0: Like, plus, what? Like, wouldn't people start to notice?
1: Yeah,
0: they'd be like, "Why are you still here?" And you'd be like,
1: (laughs) "And you killed? You had to kill
0: them?" Yeah, (laughs) I'm so sorry.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know too much.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Wait, dude. If you're immortal, can you breathe in space?
1: Well, it depends on the rules of your immortality, right? Because some immortality is like you live forever, but you can still be killed.
0: Mm, Right. Because I was like, okay, but like if all of Earth realized that you were immortal, they could just shoot you into space.
1: But people wouldn't do that, though, because people have like suspicions of immortality or time travel with certain celebrities. Oh, they're just like cool with it.
0: (laughs) That's true.
1: Or immortality were autopsy. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> um. Anyway, as I was saying, if immortality real, they would adopt a vampire aesthetic and attract a- attract um teenage girlfriends.
0: Oh, that's true. Got a whole real life Twilight. Yeah. After the demons stole the nectar, the demigods once again went to Lord Vishnu for help, and he took the form of a beautiful woman named Mohini. And she used her charms to manipulate the asuras asuras are demons that's what they're that's what they were called into giving her the nectar to distribute to them because of how pretty she was the demons didn't argue when they saw that mohini was giving the nectar only to the demigods but one of the demons his name was swarpanu figured out what was going on and he sneakily switched his position so that he could also get some but vishnu in the form of mohini just as she poured the nectar into his mouth realized who he was and vishnu drew his chakra which is basically this really sharp spinning disc like a circular like shuriken i guess and beheaded him before the nectar could reach his stomach so the demon's head went flying and blocked the sun causing an eclipse and since swarbanu's head had touched the nectar it was immortal and it lived on as rahu like that's the name they gave his head and his body touched the ground and became known as ketu so yeah the eclipse is caused by the floating head of a beheaded demon who wanted nectar from an ocean of milk
1: A demon's not already immortal
0: No, I don't think so. Not in, like, um, not in Indian... Like, asuras themselves, they're like, they're like a race. Oh, interesting. Kind of, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Cool. What's interesting is the word Rahu and Ketu were still borrowed from this myth, and uh, they actually stand for the two lunar nodes. Aryabhadda used the words for his mathematical explanation... Of the occurrence of eclipses. Aryabhata outlined that for an eclipse to occur, the moon should be at one of the two points where the lunar orbit intersects the ecliptic. Aryabhata also somehow presented a statement suggesting that he believed that the universe goes through cycles of expansion and contraction, which is very similar to the whole modern theory of the big bang and the big crunch of the universe which is basically where the the big bang starts as a singularity and it's ever expanding like the universe is ever expanding and at one point it's gonna reach a limit and then just all go back down to that singularity but the only difference between his theory and this theory is he didn't state that the universe originates from a singularity he presented his theory as this saying, quote, During a day of Brahman, the sphere of the earth increases a yojana in size all around. During a night of Brahman, which is equal in length to a day of Brahman, there is a decrease by the same amount of the earth, which has been increased by earth. Did you get it?
1: It's really confusing. Yeah,
0: no, I didn't get (laughs) it either. Um, This is because brahmans and yojanas and like yuga they're all terminology of like the ancient Indian temporal system so but apparently I guess the, the said paper earth, I was
1: said huh? so many times
0: <laughs> yeah I know um but the paper I was reading um they understood what he was saying and I mean okay well it's just some analysis it says that like in a day the earth increases in size and then at night it like decreases in size so it's like expansion and contraction.
1: Like just the Earth?
0: Yeah, but like that apparently applies to the whole universe. I think there's like huh. more to it, but like that's like one part of it.
1: Huh. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Sure. So when I
0: first read it, I was like, fair enough. <laughs>
1: that's. <laughs> I'm a little lost, but fair enough. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. But hell yeah, I must speak my truth. Yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah. But we actually have no idea how he even managed to come to his conclusion. Um, He actually developed a number of theories that we have no idea how he came to thinking up in the first place. And this was actually fairly common for a lot of astronomers. But I kind of just blame it on the fact that like documentation wasn't really a thing Back then, like they would think it and it would be in their mind, but they'd just write down what they came up with.
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, okay, like, have you seen my private Twitter? It's <laughs> just yeah. me coming up with <laughs> random shit and <laughs> tweeting it into the void.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: So, yeah, same energy, right? Sometimes I think about the universe, but not enough.
0: <laughs> not enough. <laughs> <laughs> Planets back then were assumed to just be pushed by the wind the wind and, yeah the wind the, wind. the uh, wind yeah like a lot of astronomers like it was just a common theory back then like they just they had no reasoning for it like some when- astronomer just yelled like maybe there's what- wind and everyone's like yeah that checks out can't argue with you there wind does move things <laughs>
1: um once again my theory that the entire universe is lactose <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's that's my Milky Way for a reason, dude.
1: (laughs) That's my scientific theory. You can take that to your science journal.
0: (laughs) Nature hit me up. Nonetheless, even though we don't know how they came up with these theories, I am quite certain that they are based on solid reasoning, considering how remarkably similar and advanced it is to Western astronomy with many concepts being established well before the time of copernicus and galileo i don't know
1: i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna have to disagree on the wind thing though oh (laughs) (laughs) they did great everywhere else i'm just yeah just not big on the wind thing
0: (laughs) i would believe them back then too okay like they didn't know what like gravity was newton didn't exist
1: yeah
0: i wonder if they actually knew about gravity
1: well things fell, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, but they didn't like know what it was. They're just like, oh okay. Thing goes down. But then when the wind comes, things thing goes left. <laughs> earth so goes cond- left, earth moves. <laughs> really wind. wind moves. Really earth.
1: condescending paraphrasing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about all ancient civilizations as a whole. Let me make that perfectly clear.
1: like i actually condescend all civilizations equally
0: (laughs) yeah ancient indian astronomy was largely based on the geocentric theory the geocentric theory is the theory that the earth is at the center and the sun planets and everything else revolved around the earth which we now know is wrong and this was debunked and replaced with the correct heliocentric theory, putting the sun at the center of our solar system. That's solar system. Aryabhata, though, actually didn't ignore the heliocentric theory. In Aryabhatiya, Aryabhata wrote, quote, just as a man going east by a boat sees a stationary thing as if it is going west, so do the fixed stars appear to be going straight westward and lanka, and lanka means equator. So, this stanza is said to hint at the basics of the relativity of motion and rotation suggesting a heliocentric system. But his views were vehemently attacked yet again by Brahmagupta, keeping the idea suppressed for a while longer. Based on how highly developed Indian astronomy was before western influence, it could have been one of the most advanced fields of science for its time after the siddhantic era is when eastern and western astronomy began to mix and merge sharing their ideas but let's not go there just yet because there are multiple eastern civilizations and it seems like time's up for us uh (laughs) yeah this this was part one in what is gonna be like an n parter because i don't actually know how long the series is gonna last because there's so many ancient civilizations to go through before I break into like Copernicus and Galileo. And even after that, like just so much happened.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, astronomy, it's like one of the most developed scientific theories and we learn more about it every single day. So like strap in, seat belts on, you know, this one's going to be a ride. And this is the first time I had a guest on this episode.
1: I was not a good one. <laughs> no, she- <laughs>
0: Yeah, doubts on whether she's gonna join me next time. No, <laughs> she,
1: <laughs> she might she be, be fired.
0: <laughs> yeah, she might be fired completely. <laughs> I think I'm gonna have you for the rest of the series. I mean, I don't know. I had fun. Yay! Did you have? Yeah. Okay. I'm sweaty yeah. though. I'm yeah, sweaty. What off. a great end to this podcast. We're sweaty. Bye.